If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, the first eight verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletins. Let's please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born." And God will bless the reading of his word. Amen. As we continue to look at the work of Jesus Christ and his passive obedience, we have reflected on his uh, sufferings and his uh, crucifixion. And now we're looking at his death and his burial and the purposes and the results of those that are important for us to reflect on, and it's very appropriate for us to consider this today on a day when we have the Lord's Supper, as we particularly reflect on the uh, work of Christ for us and his sufferings and death and his uh, on our behalf. And um, there are five questions and five elements of truth that the Catechism is trying to have us reflect on uh, for a little bit to think about and how we can meditate on these things. And so the first one is, why must Jesus die? Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because with respect to the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. There are three reasons why Jesus had to die. The first is the nature of God. God is a holy, righteous, sovereign, and just God. And man, all, all men have sinned against God. We sinned against God in our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and we violated him. We committed an infinite sin. Not that we're infinite, we're finite, but we sinned against an infinite being. And so God in his holy justice has to pour out his wrath on sin. And either the sinner will be punished or someone will stand in the place of the sinner. And for Jesus to stand in our place, uh, he had to die. The wages of sin is death, Paul says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was absolutely necessary that he die. And from his death, you and I receive the abundant, unmerited kindness and mercy of God. There is therefore no no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. 
Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The justice of God demands that Jesus die. Uh, He had to die because of God's truth. To Adam in the garden, God had said, on the day that you eat of this, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. And when they ate of that truth, they did immediately die spiritually. But God in his mercy held back physical death so that grace could enter in. We could say in one sense, well, their bodies began to die, but he postponed the physical death so that grace could be inaugurated and enter in. And you and I still stand under that sentence. Ezekiel uh, phrases it this way, the soul that sins, it shall die. The truth of God demands that Jesus die. Because either we will or he will in our stead. And the promises of God make it necessary that Jesus die. And there are also those things which give us, point us in the direction of hope. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. Somebody had to deal with that. But the Lord laid on him, the son, the iniquity of us all. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus die because of the promises. All the sacrificial system pointed ahead to his sufferings and death. So it was necessary that Jesus die. The next question, why must he be buried? It's a very, fairly simple question, a simple answer, thereby to prove that he was really dead. But Zacharias or Sinus, who wrote this catechism for us, he gives seven reasons why Jesus had to be buried. And I think they're helpful for us in meditating on this particular aspect of Jesus' uh, passion. Uh, the first reason is the obvious one from the answer here, to confirm his death. Over the centuries, there have been many people who have have ridiculed the idea of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and would say ridiculous things like, well, he really didn't die. He swooned and they put him in the tomb or they gave him some drugs to kind of deaden him and they put him in the tomb, but he wasn't really dead. One of the reasons Jesus was put in the tomb, as the Bible says and this says, is a reminder that confirm his death. He really had died. The passage we read, part of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Another reason why he was buried is to complete his humiliation. He had been humiliated in his being beaten. He had been humiliated in his crucifixion. And here the Son of God, the Creator, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit of the ends of the earth, is put in a tomb. 
And it continues and completes his humiliation that he endured on our behalf. A third reason he was buried was that he might remove for us the terror of the grave, the terror of the tomb. Jesus was buried so that and placed in a tomb so that you and I might not fear that. Now, there are many things about death that we're afraid about, the unknown, or have concerns about, or thoughts about. But Jesus was buried and rose from that tomb to remind us that that tomb is not the final resting place. It is not the end. The tomb is not the end. The tomb is, as it were, a resting place, a chamber for your body to rest until the day when Jesus comes in glory and raises us all from the dead and we are united to him in glory. We don't have to be afraid of the tomb because it's not the end. There's going to be victory over that. He was buried a fourth reason because he would be raised again and so that it might be apparent that the same body that went into the tomb came out of the tomb. It was to give us confirmation and hope of the resurrection of the dead in these self-same bodies. It's us that will be raised. It's you that will be raised. And the the wonderful hope, the confirmation in Jesus' own burial and his resurrection in his own body is so that you and I might have that confirmation and hope. The fifth thing that Ursinus highlights, it kind of parallels that, that we might be confirmed in the hope of the resurrection. Our body might lay there, but it won't stay there. It will be raised again on the last day. And his burial is confirmation with his resurrection of that wonderful hope. Spiritually, number six, there's a reason of his burial uh, that in our union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, the, uh, we are uh, connected to him so that the, the domain, the dominion of sin might be broken in us. Um, in Romans 6, Paul says, We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. His burial, his crucifixion, and our union with him in those things changes our life. And as we die and are buried with him and are raised with him, then the dominion and the power of sin is broken in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't struggle with indwelling sin all your days. You will. But nevertheless, you have the hope of righteousness and holiness and living a godly life, the newness of life. Because you're united to Jesus in his crucifixion and his burial. And the seventh thing that Ursinus highlights is so that the, tr- 
that the, the, the work of Christ would conform with the sign that Jesus had given. Remember the Pharisees had asked him for a sign. And Jesus had said, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, Jesus had to be buried to fulfill the sign that Jesus had given. The third question, the third thought or truth that we think about is, well, why do we have to die? Uh, Question 42, since then Christ dies for us, why must, must we also die? It's a valid question. It's something some people might think about. Why, why is it that when we become Christians, we don't immediately go to glory? Well, there's a, a lot of answers to that question. But the answer here is our death is not a satisfaction for our sins, but only an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life. Here the question and answer is trying to draw our view ahead to the benefits we receive from Christ's work. The next question is going to take us to the present and the benefits of Christ's work, but to the future. What are the benefits of Christ's work? Why do we have to die? What's in it regarding our own death? Well, one is that our death is the entrance into glory. As the answer ends, it's a passage into eternal life. Again, death is not the end. Death is the transition from our life here in this world to our life with God, which we will enjoy forever and ever. And so we die to experience that passage from this life uh, to the next life. So that's why one of the reasons why we die. But there's another one. That causes us to think about in the phrase abolishing of sin. We know that death is our entrance into eternal life. But there's another thing about our death is death is the end of our sinning. Death is the end of the burden of sin in our life. Death takes away the presence of sin from our lives forever. When we have a loved one, a grandmother, a mother uh, that has struggled with perhaps an illness and a disease for many years and they come to the end of their life and they're a faithful believer, they love the Lord, they trust in the Lord. Uh, Everyone going through something like that has their times of disappointment and discouragement, no doubt. But they trust in the Lord, they're not bitter. Uh, And when they come to the end of their life, typically you hear it said, well, now they're no longer suffering. The, uh, the pain that they endured is no, longer, it, no longer with them. It's gone. They fought the good fight. They persevered to the end with hope in the Lord, even through their suffering. And they reached the end. And now they're with God and their suffering is over. And that's where we leave it. But there's a spiritual truth in all of this that is worthy for us to think about. 
Uh, I've never thought to comfort a, a grieving relative this, but this would be a wonderful thing to think about for a person who's, who's faithful um, parent or loved one has gone on and, and it's that they fought with sin all their life. They battled with sin to the very end. And now that battle is over. Sin is no more. They wake up in eternity and you know they don't get angry anymore. They're not discouraged anymore. They don't have fear anymore. They don't have any temptation anymore. Uh, No wrestling with the burdens of this life. And so not only their physical battle is over, but their spiritual battle is over. And now the burden of sin is gone. And our death ushers us into that. Our death accomplishes that, that that burden is gone. The fight is over. Glory, hallelujah. The fourth question, truth that we think about is, what is uh, the further benefit that we receive from his death? And the, the answer to question 43 is talking about our justification, our regeneration, and particularly our progress in sanctification that we died with Christ and are raised with him. And so the reign, again, it's parallel to something I said earlier. It's the reign of sin in your life is broken. It doesn't mean you don't wrestle with sin, but with God's help, with the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, you can choose righteousness. You can choose to follow the Lord in obedience and follow him in godly living. Uh, You won't be away from the inclinations of the the flesh, but they no longer have complete and utter reign over your life. You can have victory over sin in Christ, all to his glory and by his strength. But not only are you uh, can live in the, the life of regeneration and the new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then now you can truly offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. As Paul writes about in Romans chapter 12, you can offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Before that, you wouldn't have even be concerned about giving anything to God. But now in the Lord, because of the benefit of his death, you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. And you can offer yourself with gratitude so that in every walk of life represented here, every passion and interest and hobby and workplace that's represented here you see you you go to work not to get paid primarily though that's a nice benefit but you work out of thankfulness to almighty god and so what you do and you give it your best in an utter and complete thankfulness to him 
That's your life is uh, given over to him in gratitude. Uh, Ursinus writes about this. What now is it to believe in Christ? It is to believe that he has not only suffered the most excruciating pains and torments, but also death itself. And that by his death, he has, also, he has obtained for me remission of sins, reconciliation with God, and by consequence, the Holy Spirit also, who commences in me a new life that I may again be made the temple of God and at length attain unto eternal life in which God shall forever be praised and magnified by me. That's the benefit of the work of Christ. The final thought is the question, uh, what, what does the phrase mean, or why is there added, he descended into hell? It's the most troublesome phrase of the Apostles' Creed. Many people struggled uh, terribly over it. In fact, there are those churches, some churches you go to, if they recite the creeds, <coughs> they might have this creed with that phrase taken out. And there's uh, maybe a bit of reason in thinking about that. Uh, the, the phrase, he descended into hell, wasn't found in the early versions of the Apostles' Creed. It's pretty rare prior to A.D. 650. But for over 1,300 years, the church with one voice has been confessing he descended into hell. So what are we to do with that? We don't want to dismiss it lightly. It's a significant part of the witness of the church. And there's a lot of uh, unusual uh, answers to that. And I'm not going to distract you by taking you there. Plus, I'm running out of time. Uh, our, question, our answer gives to me the most wonderful, complete answer to it, and it's essentially this. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father turned his face away from the Son. Jesus experienced hell. And he took up the cup of God's holy wrath, and he drank every drop to the very bottom of it. And that's what it means that he descended, descended into hell. That he endured every bit of the holy wrath of God against our sin in our place. And it's something for which we marvel at. There's an applicable benefit to us in thinking about this too. Not only that he descends into hell to take it away from us. But through this, he also becomes a merciful and faithful high priest. Because when, it, when you enter those seasons of your life, when you feel yourself in hellish agony, what gives you encouragement is that your Savior knows uh, what you're not going through literal hell, but it's a horrible experience. Your Savior can be symp sympathize with you in your weakness because he went through literal hell for you. And you know that he can come alongside you in your grief and sustain you by his grace. The work of Christ in his death 
and burial brings to us wonderful redemption. Takes away the fear of death because he's victorious over it. Brings to us a renewed life that gives us the hope of victory over sin. That allows us to live with unending gratitude to our Lord and experience the great blessings of his love. May you and I embrace the Savior and know him and uh, follow him with all of our hearts. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the abundant glory of your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his atoning death on our behalf. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring the, the reality and the truths of these things home to us. Uh, to be and to enable us to not only love you more, but to walk in hope and in grace and in peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.